Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series entitled, What I'm Looking For. Sometimes when we search for something, we don't find what we were expecting. In this message, Brandon explains how we need to begin caring more about God's kingdom than about our own comfort. Woohoo! Awesome. And this is round three. Our two down, one more to go. It's awesome. This is, don't tell anybody, this is my favorite service to preach, though, because... Like, I don't know, it's just, I love it, it's just a good environment, I just can say whatever I want to say, I don't feel like I can't say something, it's just a lot of fun, so excited about uh, just the opportunity to share this message with you again today. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, if you want to turn your Bibles there, we're going to start in verse 12, uh, we're going to continue this uh, series, What I'm Looking For, uh, last week we looked at contentment, this week we're looking at comfort, and then uh, next week we're actually going to be looking at courage, so um, if you missed a message, remember you can go to the website, listen to it, go to iTunes, and you can find it there too. Just search Connection Church. It's kind of cool, like it pops up, and so that's like all 10 of the people who subscribe to our podcast find us there. But uh, it's there if you want to listen to a message that you missed. And uh, But anyway, don't forget tonight if you want to come back and if you're interested in hearing more about a Connect group or you um, want to join a Connect group or you just want to come and fellowship and we have food, we have a good time, so come hang out. Also, I think we got a few baby bottles left over, so grab those, fill them up with uh, spare change, whatever you got, that we're going to bless this ministry, um, Choices of the Heart, next week by giving them, hopefully, um, a lot of money to help them in, their, in everything that they're doing. So Philippians chapter 1, looking at comfort today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, Now I want you to know, brothers, this is Paul speaking to Philippians. Remember from last week, Paul's in prison. He doesn't know if he's about to die. He's not sure what's going to happen to him, but these are his words to the Philippians. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in these chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way I will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. God, thank you um, for an awesome morning already. Thank you, God, that this afternoon you're here to meet with us. Lord, my prayer is that the words I speak, God, that you would take them and that we would hear exactly what you want us to hear. That you speak a personal message to our hearts wherever we are today. And that by the Holy Spirit, Lord, it would enlighten us and bring a clear revelation of who you are and what we're called to do as a part of your kingdom and as your children. Lord, we just give you this time and ask you in the next few minutes, Lord, just to move in an incredible and mighty way through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. How many of you know, and have you just seen in your life, that like when something's important to you, you'll do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? You'll, you'll go to all kinds of extreme measures to, to do something if it's important to you. For instance, how many of you like to deer hunt? Any deer hunters in here? Yeah, yeah. See, it tripped me out all morning. We had as many girls raise their hand as we did guys. That's just awesome to me. Like, just girls just out, pow, you know, big guns and shooting people, I mean, things, not people, but, but, but shooting um, deer. And, um, and they're out hunting. You know, so that's cool. But you think about it. If you're really a, a big hunter, you'll do anything, right, to go deer hunting. You'll go out there and you'll sit in like 20 below weather, freezing to death, so many clothes on, you can't move, absolutely freezing to death, but you're like, I just want to kill a deer. And, and you'll do anything for it. And so like this big brown-eyed deer comes walking through the woods, and you know, bang, you know? And it's just like, it's not like you can't go buy a pack of chicken at Harvey's, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you got other food, but, 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 and see, I like to do that too, but it's just crazy, man. We'll do anything. And so some people, that seems really strange that you would sit in the cold, you do all that, you do all this stuff just to go deer hunting. But then think about what happens on the day after Thanksgiving. What is that? It's like the biggest shopping day of the year. How many of y'all have ever gotten up really, really early? She's a deer hunter and a shopper. Awesome. 
she shops to, for things to kill deer with. But, man, people, people get up 3 o'clock. My wife and her cousin and her sister, they will get up on Friday after Thanksgiving, 3 o'clock in the morning, to go drive to Augusta, drive to Savannah, drive to Atlanta, wherever the best bargains are. 3 o'clock in the morning. Why do they do that? It's important, man. They're excited about it. It's an opportunity to go shopping and find a good deal. And, and you know, it's funny because, like, my wife doesn't think about, like, if it's 50% off, it's worth, it's like worth buying, even though it still costs like $100 or something. It was 50% off. I had to get it. I couldn't pass it up. And so it's important. So people go and they shop and they do all these things because it's important to them. I mean, it, it's one of those things where if it's important to us, we act on it. We'll do extreme things in order just to be able to do whatever's important to us. I was thinking about that this week as I was reading these passages. And I want to read to you real quick um, out of these same scriptures. But I want to pick out just a few verses so that you can kind of hear in a nutshell what Paul's saying and what's really important to Paul. Listen to this. In the beginning in verse 12, he says, What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It goes on down and says, Brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God. He says that some preach Christ out of envy, envy others out of goodwill. But it doesn't matter as long as Christ is preached. He says, I'm here for the defense of the gospel. He says, some preach Christ out of selfish ambition. But in every way, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. It goes on and says, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about all those verses. What do they have in common? The one thing that he was most concerned about is that the gospel goes forward. That the kingdom of God advances. Now here's the crazy thing about this. Paul is in prison, probably about to die, and he's more concerned with the gospel going forward than he is what's about to happen to him. He's more concerned, really, that the kingdom of God continues to move forward than he is his own comfort. Right? I mean, he's in prison, and the one thing he's rejoicing about is all this happened, and it's awesome because the gospel is continuing to go forward. All this happened, and you know what? The really important thing is that Christ is preached. All of this has happened to me, and the really cool thing is the entire palace guard now knows about Jesus Christ. And in my body, as always, Christ is being exalted, even in chains. And that's pretty crazy when you think about how we live our lives. And I say we, because typically what do we do? We try to make our lives as comfortable as possible. Probably the last thing on our minds most of the time, if we're really honest, is advancing the kingdom. It's more on us being able to manipulate the situations and circumstances in our life so that we can be comfortable in our own setting. Would you agree? Y'all just looking at me. Am I speaking like, I'm not speaking in tongues, right? Somebody need to translate? No, man, we, we don't. We, we, we look for ways to manipulate our life so that it is comfortable for us. It's comfortable for us. And the bad thing is manipulation, if you read the scripture, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And think about this. If you're going to do what God called you to do, God never asked anybody to do anything that was comfortable. Can you find one example of anything that a godly person did that God led them to do that was comfortable? You can't. There's nothing there. You remember when Peter preached and we're always like, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. You know, we always say that. But do you think Peter was real comfortable preaching that sermon? He didn't stand up and say, listen, if you'll write a check to the church for $1,000, you can get you some $500 shoes, and, and the next day there's going to be a check in the mailbox, you can pay off your mortgage, you can pay your tuition, you can pay all these things off. That wasn't the message that he preached, right? He didn't come with some fluffy little light, give me goosebumps kind of message. He stood up and told the Jewish people, he said, listen, y'all are a bunch of murderers. And not only are you murderers, you killed the Son of God. He's like, you need to repent and be baptized. And I don't think he stood up, preached that message, and was thinking, now things are going to go well for me. I mean, you, you call somebody a murderer, you tell them they killed God's son, you, you tell them they need to repent because they're wrong. It wasn't comfortable. But people came to know Christ. The kingdom advanced because he was willing to stand up and preach. Think about Old Testament. Think about this, man. When, what about Noah? Noah built a boat. He built this huge boat. Can you imagine people walking by and talking to Noah? Hey, Noah, what you doing? Building a boat. Why are you building a boat? It's going to rain. 
What's rain? They didn't even know what rain was. Hadn't rained yet. Read it. Had never rained. And then he's like, well, it's water. It's going to fall from the sky. And they're like, <clears throat> looked at their friend like, <laughs> bro, smoking crack. And then they're like, well, why are you building a boat? It's going to rain. Well, why is it going to flood the earth? They're like, man, this dude is whack. Man, he is, he is, he's lost his mind. And they said, well, what's the boat going to do? He said, we're going to put animals in it two by two. And then, you know, and he's telling them this. And I was thinking about this earlier. How comfortable could it have been on that boat with all them stinking animals? Right? If it were me, I'd have loaded it up with cows. We'd have ate steak for 40 days. We'd have walked out, we'd be like, man, that was like a cruise. You know, we'd, we would have eaten, there wouldn't have been a, a thing left for the world, you know, to repopulate the earth. But we'd have had steak 40 days and 40 nights. What are you having for breakfast? Steak. What about lunch? Steak. Supper? Steak. I mean, it's just, it's just been the way I would have done it. But he, nobody thought that Noah was in his right mind. And the deal is, man, when you take a step of faith, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it's not the thing that you want to do. But when God leads you to do something, the best place for you to be and the thing that you're going to find in life as you live for God is this. The most comfortable place to be ultimately is in the direct center of God's will for your life. And it doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always seem like it's the best way. But I'm telling you, you will not get to the end of your life when you're like 80 years old and your teeth are sitting on the hearth or whatever of the fireplace, the mantle on the fireplace. And you're sitting there and you're rocking in your chair 70, 80 years old. You're not going to look back and go, why did I waste all those years living for God? I wish I hadn't lived for God all those years. If you'll just make up your mind, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to surrender my life to Him. I'm going to let Him drive this boat. I'm going to let Him drive this car. He's going to be the, the captain of my life, the one who's going to dictate what I do, when I do it, how I do it. I'm going to get in His Word. I'm going to find out more about Him. I'm going to live for Him. And if we would just come to a place where we made up our mind, God, whether it's comfortable or not, I am here to serve you. I'm here to live for you. If we could get to that place where Paul was where the most important thing in our life is that we would see the kingdom of God grow. What could God do? It's kind of funny, by the time I get to this service, I sound like I'm going through puberty or something because I'll just be talking and all of a sudden it's like, it's a, ah! you know, my voice goes way up high. My voice starts kind of going about this time. But, I mean, seriously, if we were to surrender ourselves to Christ, I want to preach the rest of this message out of John chapter 4. And the reason that I want to do this is because this message in a nutshell is simply about us making a decision. This message is, is about us deciding, am I going to live for God? Am I going to live for His kingdom or am I going to live for His comfort? And I believe in John chapter 4, one of the most uncomfortable um, stories, one of the most uncomfortable situations that we ever see Jesus in is in John chapter 4. Many of you probably read this, heard this, heard people talk about it, but it's, it's the uh, encounter when Jesus meets this Samaritan woman. So we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 4, and then I just want to share with you a few things that I feel like the Lord really put on my heart to tell you today. Chapter 4, verse 1, the Gospel of John. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had, got, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, so his disciples had left. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I want to stop right there just a second, because here, this is really interesting. You've got to understand something. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. It would have been like Democrat and Republicans. I mean, they hated each other, right? I mean, for, for a Jew to have to go through Samaria, it would be like, like Rush Limbaugh going to the Democratic National Convention. I mean, it was, it was that bad where they hated each other. And so when Jesus says, will you give me a drink? This woman is like, 
You're a Jew. What are you? And I believe she came with one of two attitudes. I believe she either came with this attitude of, who are you to ask me to get you something to drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And I believe she, she may have come with this attitude of, I'm not getting you anything to drink. We've hated each other for years. And I'm thinking about how some of us in here today may be treating God that way. Some of us in here today may be looking at it and, and God's been knocking on the door of our heart for a long time and he's been trying to pull us into a relationship with him and he's been trying to get us to surrender things in our life to him and yet we come to this place where we literally look God in the face and say, who are you to ask anything from me? And maybe in our minds we don't think we say that but our actions would dictate that we do. And maybe, maybe we wouldn't literally want to stand up and look God in the face and say, God, bump you. I'm not doing that. But our actions would dictate that we do. The other possible thing that I, I see here is that this woman could come to Jesus and go, don't you know I'm a Samaritan for one and I'm a woman too. I see, ladies, you, uh, you wouldn't have liked to live back then because you would have been considered like second class. They did not um, hold women in very high esteem at all. And so she may have been coming to this. She was actually at the well during a time nobody else would have been there. So it's almost like she's trying to sneak around and get her water. And, and maybe she looks at Jesus and says, don't you know I'm a Samaritan? Don't you know I'm a woman? Why do you think I'm out here when nobody else would be here? I'm not, I'm not able to give you any water. Don't you know if you drink anything out of my bucket that your people are going to consider you unclean? And I believe some people may be sitting here today in this place of feeling so unworthy. Why would God even look my way? If, 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 if you knew what I did, if you knew my life, then, then why would God even look my way? I'm not worthy of God looking at me. I'm not worthy of God reaching down to me. And here's the thing I would say to that is you're right. You're right. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. But the way that we became worthy was when God said you're worthy. The way that we became worthy was when he decided that I love them enough that I'm going to send my son so that he can take all of their junk and all of their crap of their life, put it on himself so that they can attain his perfection. That's why you're worthy. Not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of what he did for you. And simply because of the faith that you've placed in him. That's an awesome God. That instead of him telling us, you come up to my level if you can, he says, guess what, I love you so much, I'll come down to yours. I'll come down to your level and I'll raise you up. That's an awesome God. It's easy for somebody to look down their nose at you when you're down, but it's hard to get down on somebody else's level and pick them up, right? Yeah. But that's what God did for us. And if you're here today and you're wondering, well, I don't even know why God would look my way. He looked your way because he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And you have absolutely no worldly model for the kind of love that God has for you. There's nothing in this world that can model the perfection of God's love that he has for you. And I hope today that if you hear nothing else, you hear the fact that there is a, a God, the God of this universe, the God who is calling out to you. But listen to this, verse 10. We've never made it through this whole message, by the way, today. So I doubt we will this time either. But we'll get as far as we can. John chapter 4, beginning there, it's right there in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, now Jesus asked her for a drink of water, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? The first thing, so I believe we've got to make these decisions. If we're going to advance God's kingdom, we've got to make some decisions of if we're going to do certain things or we're going to live for our comfort. The first thing that I think you've got to decide and that I have to decide is how big is God? How big is your God? Because here's the crazy thing. Jesus just looked this woman dead in the eye. And he says, if you'll ask me, I'll give you the one thing that will satisfy your life. And what was her reply? You don't have a bucket. And that seems crazy to us. 
That seems stupid. I mean, it, it, it just baffles our mind that God could be standing there. He looks this woman in the eye and says, listen, if you'll just ask me, I'll give you living water. I'll give you the only thing that will satisfy. And she says, you don't have a bucket. And see, Jesus is nicer than I would be because right there I would go off. I'd be like, woman, don't you know I made that well? Don't you know I made the water in that well? And for that matter, I made you, I brought you into this world and I will take you out. But he was gracious. He was gracious. But I wonder how many of us are sitting here and we're looking at God and we're wondering, can he really do what he said he'll do? If I really trust him with my life, will he really do what he says? The answer is yes. He's God. The Bible says he's faithful even when you're not. The Bible says that he cannot lie. His word is true. So the question is, are you willing to surrender control of your life to him? Are you willing to put your comfort in, in, in the back seat so that he can drive your life? Think about the things he's already told us. He said, listen, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, I can move mountains. I believe this. I believe that whatever stands in the way of the advancement of the gospel, God will annihilate it. If we'll have the faith to step, God will remove it. If we have the faith to step, God can take control of it. He told us this. He said, listen, if you can get a revelation of who I am, this is what he told Peter. He said, if you can get a revelation of who I am, upon this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't it awesome to know you have the opportunity to be a part of something that nothing can stop? Isn't it awesome to know that you have the possibility of being a part of a movement that, that no man, no demon of hell, no, no devil could possibly ever stop? That's absolutely awesome. But I ask you today, how big is your God? Because if we're going to do what God created us to do, what he's called us to do to see his kingdom advance, we've got to know God is big enough, capable enough to do anything and everything, to do all that he said. Listen to this, verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him spring, a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Listen to her response. She said this, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then this crazy? Like, she still, she still hadn't got it, right? She still doesn't understand. And so she's saying, give me this water. I don't want to come draw from this well anymore. It'll save me some time. If you can give me this water, then I won't be thirsty anymore. And the second thing I believe we've got to decide is, I mean, what's our motive? And I would phrase it like this. Do you believe that you exist to serve Jesus or does Jesus exist to serve you? What's your belief? Do you believe that Jesus exists to serve you or do you exist to serve Jesus? Can you, have you, how many of you have ever been to a really nice hotel that they come out and get your bags for you? See, most of the time, the hotels I stay at, you're just glad to get in your room with your bags. That nobody took them. But I've had an opportunity a couple of times to stay in places where they come out and get your bags. But for me, it's a real awkward time because, one, I, just, I don't need anybody to carry my bags. I mean, I'm like, dude, I can carry those. And two, if I get them before they do, I don't have to leave a tip with them. And so I just run out and grab my bags real quick and then take them onto the room or whatever. But how crazy would it be if you get out and, and they're just like leaning up over there up against the counter like, you know, and they don't come to get your bags, but when another car pulls up, they're like, hey, how about uh, get those bags for me? Here, and they go and they bring the other bags over to you, and they're like, while you're carrying yours up there, could you mind, would you mind just carrying these up also? And you wouldn't like that. You'd be like, no, I won't carry their bags. That's your job. And that's crazy to us, and we, we, we probably never will see that happen. But it's also just as crazy for us to think that when we become a Christian, it's God's job to serve us. It's crazy. It's ludicrous to think about the fact that, that somehow in American Christianity, we've gotten this thing in mind that the gospel is about serving us. When in reality, when you become a Christian, your right to be served disappear. People walk in and out of the doors of the church all the time and they look around and they, they ask this question, what's here to serve me? We get that all the time. Well, do you do this? I'm like, no, we don't do that. Well, do you do this? No, we don't do that. Well, do you do Mother's Morning out? No, we don't do Mother's Morning. Do you do this? We don't do this either. And we go all through these things, and they're just like, well, what's here for me? My God. 
and so many times we walk in, and I remember when we were trying to start a youth group, man, and everybody's like, well, you don't have a youth group. And so I started a youth group just to start a youth group, and none of those people ever came. And so we killed the youth group. We just stopped having it. So I'm not going to come up here for myself. I'm not a youth anymore. And so we just had to kill it. But there's all these things that we, we could do, and they're good things, and they're, they're right, and they're good to do. But people come looking for things so many times that, that just really are about what they want. And the mindset of Christianity is so much about us. So much about us. And we need to decide if we're going to serve Jesus or if he exists to serve us because the reality of it is we exist to serve him. Listen to verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. This gets really intense, by the way. Like, if you just read it and you don't pay attention, it's, it's like just words on a page. But think about this conversation. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you're now living with, basically, is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And she goes on from there. But is it not crazy i don't know have you guys ever had somebody that just like it seemed like they could just read your mail they just kind of knew what was going on my dad was like that when i was growing up it was like where he um he could almost see through me and like always knew what i was saying i could i couldn't lie to my dad not because like i was such a good kid it was just because i knew he'd know and so i could lie to anybody else just couldn't lie to my dad and so i'd be there my dad would come in and he would be like did you do this i'd be like um all right, let me think. And process, and you know how fast you can think and process. And I'm like, last time I tried to lie to him, it did not turn out good. And so I'm like, yes, I did it, Dad. I'm sorry. You know, because he, I knew he would see through it. I knew he'd figure it out. And, and, and right here, Jesus is reading this woman's mail. I mean, he is all up in her grill. He knows everything about her. And it freaks her out. Because he says, you're right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've been married five times. And now you're shacked up with a dude that's not even your husband. We got a word for that. It's not a good word. You probably won't name your daughter that word. And so she's freaking out. But see, here's the thing that we need to realize is we serve a God who knows all, sees all, is in, and is in all. He's in everything. He is sovereign. And the best thing we can do is come to the realization that He is sovereign and surrender our lives to Him. The question I want to ask you is, are you in control or is God? I remember we went snow skiing one one year when I was, I guess I must have been about 10 or 11 years old, maybe 12. And and my dad took me up to Wolf Laurel snow skiing. Anybody ever been up to Wolf Laurel? Anybody? Yeah, one person. Um, There's a reason probably most of you haven't been there. But when we went, there wasn't hardly any snow. And I don't know if you've ever tried to ski without snow. It's difficult. And um, because the problem is you can find a little bit of snow and you can ski. But as soon as your skis hit grass, they stop and you don't. And so it, it's not good. And so we're trying to, first time we've ever been skiing, we're trying to dodge grass and everything else. And, and it's the first time we ski, but after 30 minutes, we're like, we should probably go up to the very top and come down the expert slope. And so we were like, cool, we'll go up and do that. So we get up to the top of the, the mountain, and, and I'm skiing kind of across the flat part up at the top. And in some reason, it was like, I think it was the devil, but my skis just started turning. Everybody blames everything on the devil, right? And so I, I started, my skis just kind of started going, and I kind of caught the slope, and I hadn't skied much. And, and, and so they just kind of went where they were wanting to go. And, and the next thing I know is I'm off on the expert slope. I mean, I'm just headed downhill. And so I did the thing that you should always do any time you are out of control on skis. I went into a tuck. And, and so I'm like going down the mountain in a tuck. And I'm like, oh. And I was like, I remember something about pizza, but I don't know exactly what I'm snowplowing. What am I supposed to do right now? And so I'm going and I'm just flying. And I'm doing pretty good. And the thought actually crossed my mind at one point, I might actually pull this out. And if I do, I am going to talk some trash. But, but then... I started coming up on the moguls, you know, those little bumps they put out there. And I don't know why they put bumps in the middle of this thing. It's stupid. But anyway, I'm going down the hill, and, and I start hitting them. I'm like, uh, 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 you know, and for a while, I'm just hitting off the top of them. But then finally, my skis stick in one, and it just, like, catapulted me over. And it was so, I mean, I, like, had a bad wreck. And, and, and 
it was so bad, the ski patrol, they didn't even wait. I mean, they're like coming down there with the sled. And, you know, and I jump up, I'm like, I'm all right, I'm all right. But it was so scary because I was so out of control. I mean, I, if, it were, if it were stop or hit a tree, I would have just hit the tree. I couldn't stop. There was nothing I could do. Totally out of control. But, you know, that's how our life is when we're apart from God. That's how our life is when, when we're not allowing God to be the one who's in control. That, that's how it works in our life is that we got no control over anything. And the best comfort, the best thing you're ever going to know is when you realize that your comfort's not dictated by your circumstances or the situation you're in. Your comfort is dictated by the fact that you are held in the hands of a sovereign God who loves you more than you can imagine. That's where comfort comes from. And the crazy thing is we spend so much of our life trying to find this place of where, where we can make our lives comfortable. And the crazy thing is, and trying to control the circumstances and situations in our lives. And the crazy thing is, guys, even when you feel like you've got everything under control, you're not in control. Come on, you know, you've all had days when you were just cruising along and you're like, woohoo, everything's great. And then all of a sudden, one thing happens and everything falls apart. The reality is we're not in control. God is. The best thing we can do is surrender to him. Make up our mind, I'm going to live for his kingdom. I'm not going to live for my comfort. I'm going to live to advance the gospel of Christ. Listen to this. um, Verses 19 through 26. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. To sum this up, I believe Jesus is looking at this lady and going, you know, all this stuff you're talking about, this worship you're talking about. I believe he's trying to get this lady to realize if you'll open your eyes, the thing that you should be worshiping, the person that you should be worshiping is standing right in front of you. Have you ever noticed how when people are, um, are, are called out in, in, in the Bible by Jesus, they always go to some religious answer? Like they always just try to think of something because I think it just like messes them up. And so they go back to the only thing they know, which is religion. And so there's like, well, you worship on that mountain and we worship on this mountain. Jesus is like, what? He's like, what? Woman, open your eyes. The Messiah that is coming is standing in front of you. And I wonder how many of us are that way that Jesus has been in front of us. We've been presented with the gospel and we've just never opened our eyes to see it. Maybe we've known it on the inside and we've just never taken that step to finally let go control and surrender that to him. And I look at our our churches and I look at our lives and, and so many times we stand on this mountain or that mountain. And we get on this religious mountain, and this is all we really know of God. And so many of us, we grew up in churches where it was about some format or formality or religious program, and it never was about Jesus. And we're disillusioned because religion didn't provide what we thought it would because we read the Bible. And the problem is religion can't provide you with the thing that's going to satisfy. Only Jesus can. And we get on this mountain over here and it becomes about theology and it becomes about predestination on this mountain. And then you got the, the, the free will on that mountain. And then you get over here and you got the once saved, always saved on this mountain. And you got the, the way you can lose your salvation on that mountain. I'm like, what? We're splitting hairs over theology and people are dying and going to hell. Is that really, do you really think you're going to stand up in front of God one day and him go, did you believe in free will? Tell me what you thought. Give me, write me a little dissertation about the, the predestination. No. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. But we spend so much time on it. And I'm not knocking either camp. Because, listen, if you believe in predestination, then some people are predestined to go to heaven. So preach the gospel to everybody. Because a lot of them, they can't say no. You could be like, Jesus. And they go, yeah, I want to I know Jesus. 
And then on the other side, preach the gospel to everybody because they can make their own choice. But either way, it's like Paul said, Christ has preached. Just preach. And if you really want to know how to solve both mountains, the question you really ought to answer is, am I saved today? Am I living for God today? And you know what I find is most people who want to say that you can't lose yourself, a lot of times it's so that you can do whatever you want to do and not really have to worry about the consequences. You know? It's like, I'm going to do this. I wonder if I'll have to say that prayer again. And so it becomes our way to justify ourselves. And we take theology that's really good in and of itself and we begin to distort it so that it serves us instead of us serving it. Listen to this. Verse um, 19 through 26 that we just read. So I believe that so many times in our lives, one of the things that we do, and, and this, is, this is the fourth thing I would tell you, so many times the things that we do is we want to come to Jesus in our terms. If we're going to see the kingdom advance, I believe this, we've got to decide if I'm going to come to Christ on his terms or if I'm going to come to Christ on my terms. Am I going to come to Christ the way he wants me to or am I going to try to make this thing work out on my own, in my own way? Anybody ever read the Old Testament and come across a guy named Uzzah? Anybody? Anybody know Uzzah? Yeah, Tim? Anybody else? Billy? Yeah, a couple, couple of people that know about Uzzah. Well, Uzzah, Uzzah was messed up. First of all, because his name was Uzzah. Don't ever name your child Uzzah. That sounds like he's got some kind of disease. Like, what's wrong with him? He's, it's Uzzah, man. It's Uzzah. And, but he sounds like he, he was messed up because, listen, there, in the Old Testament, God had, had given the Israelites this command to build this ark, and the ark was representative of the presence of God. But the way this thing had been made was, or, or had, had been intended was that the ark would always be carried on two poles. But the Israelites had this really good idea that we'll make this brand new cart and we will set the Ark of the Covenant on this cart and we'll just pull it around with us wherever we go. Only problem with it was God didn't tell them to do that. He told them to carry it. And if you remember, if you go back and read it, you'll see that they were bringing the the Ark of the Covenant up from Jerusalem. And they're pulling along and Uzzah's pulling it along and all of a sudden the cart hits a hole. And, and they stumble. And so Uzzah, to keep the cart from falling off, or to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling off the cart, reaches up to touch it and to grab it and to hold it in place. That would be a good thing to do, right? He reaches up and touches it. Dead as a hammer. Killed him. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa. And we're like, that's not fair. David even got mad. King David got mad and wouldn't take the Ark of the Covenant all the way to Jerusalem. He got upset. He's like, we'll just take it to this guy named Obed-Edom. I mean, they had some good names, didn't they? Don't get your child's name from some of those scriptures. But Obed-Edom. And so they go and they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. And you know what happened? His house began to be blessed. Everything he did was blessed because God's presence was in his house. David heard about it. He went, well, I'm going to go back and get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you know what it says? It says they put it on two poles and they carried it to Jerusalem. But I wonder how many of us are missing the blessing of God because we want to come to Christ in our own way. Because we don't realize the only way we can come to Christ is through Jesus. The only way we can truly experience the life God wants us to have is by surrendering ourselves and the control of our lives to Christ. How many of us are missing the fullness of God's life because we simply won't surrender it completely to God? Listen to this, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? See, here's the crazy thing. They knew, Jesus, you really ought not be talking to this woman. Don't you know she's a Samaritan? She's a woman. And really, she's unclean. And we really don't need to have this conversation. And they didn't say anything. But this is a decision I think we have to make. Is Jesus had to decide, am I going to be about advancing God's kingdom and, and telling the gospel? Or am I going to be about gratifying and satisfying other people? Are you going to live your life to honor God? Or are you going to live your life to try to satisfy others? Because if Jesus was trying to impress his friends and trying to impress other people, he never would have talked to this woman. 
And see, we all come to this place where we have to make a decision of either I'm going to live for God or I'm going to live for other people. I'm going to live for God or I'm going to live for other people. And it comes a dividing line. Listen, you're going to give one or the other the finger. I'm just telling you, you can't live for both. You can either live for God or you can live for other people. One or the other. I remember when we started this church, um, you know, I, I didn't hear a lot of people talking about the church and a lot of people saying things about me. But every now and then, I'd bump into somebody that would tell me, like, that people were talking about me. I remember when um, I bumped into this one guy. We were at this Christian event thing, and he comes up to me, and he hugs me, and he's like, oh, man. He's kind of, like, emotional about this thing. And I'm kind of, you know, you get, like, somebody grabs you, and it's like, and they're hugging you kind of like this. And so he's like, man, I love you. And I'm like, I love you too, man. And then he was like, you're a man of God. I was like, man, thank you. And he's like, you do what God called you to do. And I'm like, all right, man. And he goes, and don't you worry about what everybody's saying about you. I was like, what? I was like, now what's everybody saying? What's everybody talking about? Like, what in the world? And then I ran into another lady. This hadn't been, this is actually only a month or two ago. And she was like, it is just so funny. I said, what? She said, how this church is done. And I'm like, really? Yeah, it's, it's been really cool. She's like, no, you don't understand. Everybody talked so bad about you when you started that church. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah. And the funny thing is, now a lot of them come there. I was like, that is kind of funny. And so now every week, I'm like, I wonder which ones it was that were talking about me. (laughs) You know, because I'm kind of trying to figure it out. But the truth of the matter is this, guys. I mean, I either could do what God called me to do, or I could worry about what everybody else was saying. I mean, we've been accused of things. People have talked about us. People have said things about us. People have said things about me. They haven't said anything about my wife yet because I'm not in jail for murder. But they've talked about us. They're going to say things. But are you going to live for God or are you going to live for other people? If God's for you, who gives a crap who's against you? It doesn't matter. Do what God called you to do. Let the chips fall where they may. And don't worry about what other people are saying. Don't worry about what other people are thinking. It's going to pay if you'll serve God. They can't save you. He can. They can't deliver you out of what you're going through. He can. Live for him. Don't worry about everybody else. Got to speed up. I'm going to skip six, go to seven. Skip that one twice today. It's probably feeling a little unworthy. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? I mean, people just didn't get it, did they? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I believe if we're going to advance the kingdom, we're going to move beyond our comfort. We've got to redefine what what success looks like. We've got to redefine what success looks like. We've got to begin to think about this differently because I believe you can achieve everything and have nothing. I believe you can have everything in the world and lack one thing and have nothing. Everything minus one thing being Jesus Christ equals absolutely nothing when it's all said and done. And I believe this, the greatest success you can ever have is when you stand before your heavenly Father and you hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Y'all check out this video. Uh, my name's Todd, and uh, I'm an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic at that. And uh, recently, uh, I worked for a recovery program, and I worked around a lot of people that uh, pushed the uh, message that all spiritual paths lead to God. You know, as far as Buddhism or the New Age movement or crystals or self enlightenment, but we weren't allowed to talk about Christianity openly. And uh, in my experience was that I had to come into a uh, relationship with Christ and, and that was the only thing that relieved me of the obsession to want to use and drink. 
And, and so on a one-on-one -on -one basis, I would share my experience with um, that I had had with Christ and, and how I had this big hole in my heart until I cried out and, and with complete abandon and complete surrender and asked God to help me with, uh, with my addiction. So on numerous occasions, um, I was persecuted by my higher-ups for, uh, for my beliefs and was told that I was not allowed to talk about Christ um, with the residents of this place. So anyway, it was really uncomfortable. Anyway, sitting in the office one day, one of my co-workers came in to me that was uh, Christian, and you know, I worked with three other people in the office without a shadow of a doubt. Do I believe they love Jesus? Yes. Um, but I guess I was just a little bit more vocal about my belief in God and Christ. And um, so anyway, one day I was asked the question, Todd, do you, are, you, are you with us or do you want to be an individual? Do you want to be part of the team or do you want to stand alone? And um, I said, well, if it comes to teaching something I don't believe in, um, I think I'll stand alone. And uh, about a week later, I was called into the director's office and... Uh, was told that I had drawn too many lines in the sand about what the truth was. And um, I basically took that as the truth as far as my spirituality and what I believe changed my heart and what relieved me of the obsession to want to use drugs and drink. So as a result of it, uh, I, I, was, I was let go of my workplace. But um, as far as regrets, I don't have any regrets. And um, when, I was being, when I was being fired, by my director, something deep down said everything was going to be okay. I knew I was going to be okay because um, ultimately I knew I, I did what felt right in my heart and I think that was the most important thing to me, especially in this economy and the way things are. I, I knew God would take care of me and um, I, I could only share the truth. I, I couldn't share something that I didn't believe and I couldn't share something that God hadn't touched my heart with. and. and and so I, I knew everything was going to be okay. And, and so today, um, I'm unemployed, but life's pretty good. And uh, yeah, that's it. You know, the thing that jumped out at me in that video is when he said, you know, I made a choice that I would stand alone. And my question is, if it came down to it, were you willing to do that? Are you willing to say, I'm willing to forego my comfort so that, I can see the kingdom of God advance. Am I willing to give it all up for God that he can advance his work through me? That in all circumstances, in all situations, no matter what comes my way, the one thing I hope more than anything else is that Christ would be exalted through my life. Are we willing to do that? I want to share one last thing with you, and then we're getting out of here. I want to read 39 through 42 to you. It said, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, here's the awesome thing about this scripture. They go through all of this stuff. She finally comes to the realization of who Jesus is. And then she goes back and tells other people. She actually opened her mouth and said, let me introduce you to the one who told me everything about me. I have found the Messiah. And because of what she did, other people came to know Christ. Now think about this. You've got a Samaritan woman. It's a Samaritan on one hand, a woman on the other hand, who in that day would not have been very respected. And her lifestyle was that really, that was not very pure. Right? And you've got those three things that are going on with this woman's life. And yet God takes her and he brings his, his knowledge, the knowledge of his son to an entire village, to an entire community. Because she went back and told other people about what Jesus had done. Now, don't you think that if God can use a Samaritan woman in that condition, in that shape, that God can use you? 
Do you really think today that sitting here, God can't use you to change somebody's life? God can't use you to begin to change your campus. Did anybody see that email that was going around? I guess it's true that Georgia Southern was the number four most popular campus in the United States. Is that not crazy? Do you think maybe God might have put us here for a time such as this? Maybe. I know that might seem kind of crazy, but maybe God wants to bring a bunch of people to Statesboro, Georgia, so they can be set on fire for Jesus Christ and then be scattered throughout the world. Anybody? I mean, that's a crazy idea, I know. But just maybe? And was it not crazy that it was like, and I might get them out of order, but it was like Harvard, Stanford, BYU, Georgia Southern? (laughs) That is awesome. That's so crazy, man. And, And it's like, we've got an incredible opportunity. We've got an amazing opportunity to reach people for Jesus, man. We've got an amazing opportunity to see the kingdom advance in ways that in 20, 30 years, we're sitting around, by that time my teeth will be on the mantle. But we're sitting around and we're going, do you really believe that God did what he did? Do you really? I can't even believe we got to be a part of that. And it's going to happen when we decide that God's kingdom is worth living for. And and the heck with my comfort. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for his kingdom. I don't care what anybody else says. My God is bigger. My God is stronger. If he's for me, who can be against me? I'm going to live for him. And the question is, are we going to do that? Because he says in his word that the the harvest fields are ripe. They're ready. All we got to do is step into the field. He says, y'all didn't even labor for this. Any of y'all helped build this university? I didn't. I was here. I remember when it became a university. It was like party in the streets, block party. But we didn't build this. We didn't labor for this. The harvest is right there. And God says, all you got to do is go out into it and be bold and step courageously, knowing that I got your back. And if you'll step in faith, I'll bring people to myself. You exalt him, he'll bring them to himself. So here's my question for you today. Are you willing? Are you willing to live for his kingdom? Are you willing to live for God and be used by God to advance his kingdom in this community to wherever God sends you once you graduate? Let's pray.